Hey Warriors, and welcome back to another episode of Warrior Within. I do hope you all had a great week. Um, mine was pretty decent until about Friday. Technically Thursday, I started not feeling very good, and I was pretty sick on Friday and um, sick on Saturday, but otherwise uh, feeling better. Um, we did. We have not found a house yet. Uh, the blessing is that we can count on a month-to-month -month situation, which uh, will be good. Um, otherwise, uh, let's get into this lesson today. Uh, I will say that we're going to continue the series Lion and Lamps uh, about, you know, like what we talked about last week, which is gentleness. And this week, it's going to be another topic. But, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed last week. I hope you guys did. It was definitely something that I know isn't talked about very often. So I do hope that this connected with some guys because I, I know like in our culture, especially in our Christian culture too, the idea of gentleness is always depicted as being weak. But the truth is gentleness is something that we're supposed to have as men. And sometimes men are good at it, I guess you could say, or at least that's the parameters by which they do follow. And there's nothing wrong with that. Anyway, so, you know, I was just thinking about, is, is there anything in your life that you wish that you could have done that you could be better at? I mean, like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, I want to be skinny or I wish I was, you know, stronger or something like that. But is there something in your life you wish you were better at? Because I can tell you this, one of mine has been like wanting to sing better. I mean, I was in choir in high school and I did get some training there, but I always felt like I was under... I was like average, you know what I mean? And I always wish that I could have that strong male voice. Cause you know, you know, you probably think in your heads, many different guys that come across and, and how their voices are, how they sing. And, and you just sit there and you're just like, man, I, I wish I can do that. And I mean, that's a part of me. I wish I could, uh, one, one of my favorite bands is skillet and I love John Cooper's voice. And sometimes, you know, when I'm listening, I, I try to see if I can just maybe slightly mimic, you know, try to try to get that same sound, gruffy sound voice. And in some ways in my head, it sounds like I am. But then when I actually hear myself, it's like, uh, yeah, there's something missing. You know, it's still a dream of mine because like there's a part of me that would love to see Echo Life actually have a Christian band come out of it. And I would love to have like a group that, that's fired up like Skillet. But at the same time, is still teaching a very strong truth in their lyrics. Because I know there was a part of me for a while I always wanted to to start my own rock band. You know, I, I, I sat there, you know, I wish I could sing better. But, you know, a part of me also is I wish I had learned instruments. So that was the one thing growing up I wish I had the desire to do. And I don't know if it's just because... I honestly do believe that because of my bullying that I got that my self-esteem of succeeding in things was always drowned by the fact that the bullying always told me I was nothing. I, I would never make it. I would never get anywhere. You know, that was worthless. And I, I honestly believe that is still a factor in me which explains even the frustrations I even have now of waiting for this ministry to get going and just feeling maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe things are just not happening because I'm missing something or I made a bad mistake. And, and like a lot of that still comes back. And even though I sit there and I'm like, I want to not allow that to dictate my feelings, it always comes back to that. And I always go back looking at my life and I, and I see that, you know, I didn't try as hard or I didn't work as hard or I didn't. And a lot of it is because in my mind, I already failed. So why try too hard when you're just going to fail at the end? You know, cause I, I love music and I, I, I thank pastor Finch. Um, he died a little over a year ago cause of COVID, but I thank him for being willing to work with me and to teach me what I needed to learn to do the choir because he saw the potential in me and he was willing to give me that chance. And I loved it. I got to be an honors choir twice in four years. Um, I loved being a bass. I loved being a baritone. I really enjoyed doing the hymnal music, which is, is what makes me more excited about music. 
because I got to learn things about it. I still can't, I can't read music. I couldn't tell you if you put music in front of me, I would be like, I don't know. I just know that goes up. So that means it's higher. That goes down. It means it's lower. That's all I know. But I will say this. What's interesting, because what we're going to be talking about is leading upright or being godly. You see, the idea is that there is a key thing about us being men. Most of the time, uh, most of the time when I look at what it means to lead, a lot of times we think we need to be these aggressive, strong men, but sometimes a lot of times our past gets in the way. You see, I always go to the example of King Saul. I always go back to him because King Saul was chosen by God. He stood out, you know, like he's the image of what most of us think a man is supposed to be. He's supposed to be the tall, brooding, handsome, strong looking, you know, charismatic in some ways. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, how charismatic he was, but he definitely had that appearance about him that would just pull people. And if you ever met me, I am not tall. I'm heavy set. I am pretty short for a guy. I'm not short, short, but I'm short for a guy. And, you know, I don't have any charismatic personality about me. I don't like you wouldn't see me being thrown up in front of, you know, as a PR person for something. You know, that, that was just never me. I was always the person that was shy, didn't want to speak out in front of people. And that's the thing. I always considered myself to be more of the beta type personality. The person who sat in the back, who followed other guys. You know, I, I always looked at myself as the person that would never really lead. But when we go back to King Saul, we notice something about him that causes the problem. He wasn't chosen necessarily because of how he looked, got chosen because of his heart, his mind, his desire wasn't for himself at the beginning. But there's a key thing. To be a clearly good king or leader is to simply obey God. First Samuel 15, we go and we can see that the straw was finally it. Saul had done a bunch of other issues all the way up to that point, showed a lot of disobedience, showed himself only caring about himself to the point where God told him what to do. And he destroyed this whole nation except for the king. He kept all the animals when he was supposed to kill them all. And he was going to use their stuff for the sacrifice as his excuse. And because he didn't wait for Samuel, he went and did it himself. And God said, that was it. I'm done. Your kingdom has been taken from you. And even though he, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I'll come back, Samuel, you know, come with me. The thing is that it's, it's too late by then. Because this is the key thing about this whole concept. To simply obey God is what it means to be a good leader. To be a leader who's upright. A leader who's godly. And Stahl knew that he was doing something wrong. He knew and willingly disobeyed. And that should be a scary thing about us as men, should it not? If we're supposed to be following God, then we're supposed to be obeying him. And now the question has to start coming into your head. Are we obeying God? Or is there parts of our lives that we've kind of excused or put aside because it's not that bad or, you know, I'm not in a leadership role. So therefore, why should I worry? 
You know, my job is just, you know, a simple job. It's not a big deal. I'm not some big shot at the church. I'm not some big shot in my community. So why should I try hard to lead? But here's the thing. When you believe that Jesus was going to be your savior, you became a follower of Jesus. And that also means I am called to be a leader. Now, I want you to understand when I'm talking about leader, and this is not just for married men. This is not just for men who have kids. This is not for men that, you know, are older. This is for all men. So if you're a young man who's single or dating, you are called to be a leader. However, you as a dating person, you are not over your girlfriend, but you still should lead in your relationship until you have the ring on her finger. She is not your wife. And it doesn't matter. You've been living with each other five, seven, 10 years. Just because the country says you are unionized, God has commanded that we do a marriage ceremony, whether it is through the church or through the state, even though I don't agree that we need to be licensed, but you have to be because we're supposed to be respectful and submissive to our authority. Do it right. Okay. So rewind back a little bit. The idea is that when we accepted Christ, we became a follower of him. But he has also commanded us to be leaders. And I'm not talking about you have to be leaders in everything, but I could tell you this. You should be striving to find ways to impact your community, to impact your church, to impact your family, to impact your, your neighborhood. Wherever God has placed you, there is a purpose for you to be there. And leading can be a simply a simple thing as you hear a bunch of guys talking about jokes about women's body parts, sexualizing them, and you speaking up and say, hey, guys, I would appreciate if you guys didn't talk about that in front of me. I, I, I really would appreciate it. Why? Because you're willing to stand up for your faith. You see, you're leading by an example to other men. You're leading by an example by any young men that may be watching. You're leading by example by your own son and your daughters because they get to see a man who's willing to stand firm in the faith. So your leading is through your example. So what kind of example are you providing? You see, when you look at music, we mimic music because music has power. The lyrics have power. The voices have power. And we love the music. We love hearing sounds. We love hearing the bass. We love hearing the drums. We love everything about it. And one thing, you know, I, I, I'm encouraged when I listen to Skillet, especially when I hear how John Cooper thinks outside of his music and the desires he has for his music you have a better understanding why some music is very strong. But I can tell you this enemy knows how to use music to also pull us away from God. And we need to be mindful but that comes from being a follower of Christ. You see, to first understand our responsibility as leaders who stand upright, who are godly and obedient comes by following Jesus first. Because I understand leisure comes with responsibilities, hard work, but it also needs to be a willing heart, needs to be willing to obey, and needs to stay alert, it needs to be strong, and it needs to stand firm in the faith. And we know where that verse comes from. And and verse 14, you know, as a reminder, do it all in love. Love is only truly discovered by having a better understanding of who God is. And I have said many, many, many times how we reach there. 
but it does come down to you. Are you willing to allow God to impact you? As a leader, and I'm not talking about like a pastor or someone in a formal leadership that we depict. I'm talking about as us men, as being leaders, we will fail. We will find ways to falter our integrity. We will fall into temptation. We will become lazy in the faith in our walk. We will allow anger to get in the way. We'll get frustrated quickly and more. We all will do that. Even the most godly man will still have times where he falls or becomes weak because we have our human nature is still there. Even though we are saved by grace and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that flesh nature is always going to try to stick his little head in to be able to try to convince us to be more worldly. Because remember, King Saul was once chosen by God because he was a man of integrity, a man that God felt would lead his his people. But he also knew what Saul was gonna what Saul was going to become. So it wasn't a surprise. But I think it also shows us the importance of the one important part of the whole thing. Obey God. King Saul disobeyed. And God said, it's enough. You don't have the desire to truly obey me. You know, King Saul tried to ask forgiveness, but it was too late because he had plenty of chances to obey. And still, three times in a row, he disobeyed God. In just one one moment of time, he disobeyed God three times. see, the scary part about being a Christian is that day when we stand before God, thinking we have followed everything that we were supposed to do, and he says to us he never knew us. It's because how are we living our life? How are we living our life? Are we truly being obedient Are we truly following how we're supposed to be? Or are we doing kind of a Saul thing going on in the background? Where we look like we're walking the walk. We look like we're talking the talk. We look like the Christian. But are we really doing that? Or are we lying? Because like I said, I've seen guys who dressed the part, came to church suit, tie, pants, Black Bible, clean cut hair, clean shaven, talk the talk. But man, when I got to see the walk to walk at home, wasn't wasn't the same. Wasn't real. You put on a mask. And how many of us men have done that? How many of us walk around looking like the part, acting like the part? Think that's enough. thinking that's enough to be a godly man. We do the the bare minimum, well, because if we do any more, something's got to happen, right? Something's got to happen, some type of change, right? See, the reason why I haven't talked about any Bible verses in this first half is, well, except for the story of Saul or like get really detailed. One of the things I wanted to point out though, is like in verse 35 at the end, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. I want you to think about that as we continue talking about this moment. The reason I haven't used it is because the second half, I think is the most vital part where the verses are needed. Because we know what disobedience does. We've seen it over and over and over and over. How many times was Israel taken? Israel split over disobedience. Um, Moses didn't make it to the promised land because of disobedience. Even Samson, the reason he lost his hair, was through disobedience. 
we, we see the consequences over and over through scripture of disobeying God. We see it. So this, this first half is about recognizing the issue. Second half is going to be about talking about what we could do about it. So anyways, I want you, before we go into the commercial time, I want you to think about what we've talked about. Disobedience is the key to being a good leader. Secondly, you guys, when we follow Christ, when we chose to follow him, we are automatically are supposed to be seeking out how to be a leader. And it usually starts with the family. But you will understand the second half why I mean it's very important to understand that we are now striving to be leaders. So I'm going to take a quick break and we'll get back into the second half. See you right after. Hey, Warriors, welcome back to the second half. And I, I hope the first half was insightful and also made you guys think about certain things. Okay, so what would be an upright leader, a godly leader, someone who is supposed to be in leadership? In scripture, there is a section that gets talked about a lot, but it's usually focused on pastors or deacons or elders. It's usually the, the position of overseer is sometimes what scripture will use. I want you to understand something. And this is something that actually was just really neat how God kind of put this in my thoughts. So I wrote in here, so overseer is often used for pastor, like people of the church. So Sunday school teacher, elder, deacon, so on. But if you also take a step back, we men of our families are the overseer of our families and even in the church. I want you to think about that. They are given qualifications, mind you, the overseer, elder, whatever, you know, what we pick in there, right? But you and I are responsible for our families. We are also responsible in the church. Even though we may not have the title of a leadership office, we are still in a form of leadership within our church. Because remember, I talked about it several times in the first half. I've even said it before. People are watching you. They're watching the way you act, the way you treat people, the way you talk, the way you present yourself. The way that if you, you know, if you say you're a Christian, you're under a microscope and they start pointing out things. That's why it's kind of important to stand here and go, okay, what are the qualifications of an overseer? And so if we go to Titus one, go down to verse seven, it says for the overseer must be, must be, ugh, must be beyond reproach as God's steward. Remember when the idea of stewardism is not used just for a pastor. Steward is given to all Christians. We're supposed to be a steward, right? Continue on, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine or drinking, alcohol of any type, <clears throat> not a bully, not greedy for money but is hospitable, loving what is good, self-control, which is kind of ironic how this word keeps popping in. Uh, righteousness, holy, disciplined, hope, holding firmly the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. This right here, gentlemen, is the whole, like, if anything that you take out of this right here is a standard by which you and I are supposed to stand by. Because here's what I ask. 
<clears throat> how many of you will say, well, I don't want to be an elder. I don't want to be a deacon in the church. I don't have a desire. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think you should not follow these qualifications? Is it only because you don't want to be in those positions? Because technically that's how anybody that we pick in the church that's going to be a deacon or elder it shouldn't be, I have to sit here and go through each family and think about it. Well, you know, maybe like two out of 10 families works. It, it should be the majority of the family. It should be nine out of 10 of anything. It should be 10 out of 10. Because all of us are supposed to be striving to build a family or be that type of a man in our family. We shouldn't be chasing after our heart's desires. We're not supposed to be quick to being angry. We're not supposed to be getting drunk. We're not supposed to be bullying other people. We're not supposed to be greedy about money. We are supposed to be hospitable. And that's basically, you know, we think of the word host and we think of, you know, the, the person at the hotel and how they treat. So, it's not just at church. It's supposed to be at home, too. It's not supposed to be just because your job asks you to be one. It's supposed to be wherever you go, the attitude by which you stand should be that form. However, you create boundaries. You don't allow people just to run you over and take away all of your time, but you should always be ready to be that type of a personality. I want you to think about that. Two, technically three, four, five, where are we at? Uh, um, loving what is good. So the definition and understanding of what is good comes from what? Knowing the scriptures, knowing who God is, spending time in prayer, having discernment because you're allowing the Holy Spirit to show you. Asking. There are so many people today that they define good based on what they think good is and see if the scriptures fit that definition instead of vice versa. Well, I think this is good. Let me look in the scriptures to see if it fits the pattern of God or not actually the pattern, but the ideology of God's teaching and truth, which is why we have so many people who are siding on so-called good things because they want it to be a good thing. They feel like it's a good thing. So therefore, if scripture doesn't really support it, then we start making excuses, do we not? We start saying, oh, well, it's too old, or maybe we interpreted it wrong. Maybe we need to rethink about the scriptures. Maybe Jesus doesn't understand that this is how it's going to be today, or maybe we misunderstood Jesus, so let's redefine him. You see how easy it is that, you know, that one little statement says, <laughs> loving what is good. God should be our definition of what is good. Self-control. I, I, I talk about this a lot. It's, it's, an, it's a word phrase that comes in self-control because people often, when they don't, when they don't have to be in a so-called responsibility position or so-called officer leadership position, they can act however they want. That is where I think why most people don't even want to be considered an elder or a deacon because they know they have to change. And a lot of times the change that you don't want to change is the lifestyle that you want to have and you know may not fit the category of the qualifications for certain things of the scriptures. That's let alone the Lots of people that are put into positions in leadership of the church don't even qualify for that. And yet people are placing them in leadership. Self-control is a huge factor for us, especially as men, 
to gather up. And we talked about this a little bit, I think, last week. Or no, the growing up. Growing up means <laughs> learning how to be a man. Learning how to have etiquette. Learning how to be a man of integrity. Taking the time to grow. Ask right, question, right questions to people who seem to be walking in a godly way. Who are act like men, right? Who are living a life like they, they're supposed to be. You know, if you were a single kid, single guy, if you find guys that you can put around you that can help you grow up. Because sometimes, you know, that sibling kind of helps you grow up sometimes. But if you're a single guy, you don't have any other siblings, so, you, you know, it's your parents and you, and, you know, the friends that you kind of have, make sure you have godly men around you who are helping you grow. Because we talked about that, okay? Righteous. Being righteous is basically living your life right. Now, I use the word godly a lot. We are supposed to be godly. We're supposed to be seeking out what it means to be Christ-like. Living a life that's righteous. So, you have sin issues. You're striving to figure out how to break from the temptation, to get away from it, to practice what is good, what is right. Morally thinking. How many times do we sit there and go to our in ourselves like, well, I don't want to follow these qualifications because this doesn't align with my political views. <coughs> this doesn't align with how my family thinks. This doesn't align with what I think we should be doing as a person. When it's supposed to be the other way around, does the scriptures line up with what, the way I'm thinking? Holiness. Being holy means we got to know what God loves and what he hates. <laughs> Guess what? That means you can't be tolerant of things we're not supposed to be tolerant of. Like I heard the quote, this week, if the Bible tells you that this is, if God believes this is a sin because the Bible tells you it's a sin, then your opinion doesn't matter. So if you're starting to go back and you're looking at sins today and saying, well, you know, <clears throat> but they love each other, but God says it's sin. Yeah, but they love each other, but God says it's sin, but they love each other. That's the argument that goes through in your head. Um, yeah, but when I drink a lot, I forget things that bother me. But you're not supposed to get drunk. Yeah, but I, I, if I drink, I forget things that bother me. Are you seeing the pattern? We're using things that we're excusing to make it be okay to do because it, it's you're trying to take the definitions that we have in our heads of what it means to mean. If you think loving each other means no one's hurting each other, then that's not biblical perspective of love. Okay. You know, if you're drinking to get drunk because you're trying to forget, guess what? You have a problem you need to work on. Find the help, get a counselor, talk to a pastor, have people pray for you, keep you accountable. Disciplined. Now, this does not mean that you are basically walking around soldier of everything. You have to have your hair, you know, certain style. You have to have a tie shirt and pants all the time and got to have your Bible at your side all the time. No discipline means that you are actually living a life responsibly, but you are disciplining yourself in learning the scriptures. You're disciplining yourself, spending time in your scriptures, you're disciplining time in prayer but you're not doing it in such a way that it's become a job, a work. It should be, discipline should be, I don't hate to use the word fun, but you should not feel like it is doubly more energy wasting job. It should be because you want to love God. So therefore you're going to discipline yourself to do what you're supposed to be doing. You work at a job, you do your best. You hate the job, you still do your best. You struggle with sin, get help. 
you don't sit there and go, well, I can figure it out on my own. If you've been doing it for 20 years and still haven't gotten an answer and still hasn't gotten better, get help. You know, um, let's see. Oh, I have an addiction, but you know, Hey, I've been to uh, recovery several times. There's something not working. Get help. Oh, you know, I've been married several times. Uh, I'm hoping this third time, fourth time will be better. Um, something is not right. Get help. We should be striving to do what is disciplinely correct biblically. Not what the world says is okay to do, but do what is biblically okay to do. And then holding firmly the faithful word, which is the accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Learn your scriptures. Learn about the Bible. Pray. Go to church. Go to a good church who's teaching a good biblical understanding of truth and understanding of the scriptures. Someone who isn't taking worldly cultural ideology and telling us we're supposed to go and do A, B, Z, D, E, F, G out there and, and, and you know, riot and support these groups. No, the only group you're supposed to support is Jesus. And help the poor. And encourage those that, you know, are widowed. Help those that are orphaned. Tell the people about Jesus. Help our brothers and sisters among each other. Be in unity, praying together, worship together, eat together, serve together. I want you to understand that chasing after an ideology of the world is not serving or being loving towards them. Unless you're going there to preach the gospel. There's a difference. And don't let any pastor fool you to think that our job as a Christian is to be an activist for one of these organizations and groups. No. We are supposed to be preaching the gospel and helping those in need, respecting the authority above us. We're not supposed to be raising our hands with a riotous heart, forcing people to believe one way because people want it that way. Because remember, this is not our home. But we don't want people to be going to hell either. So moving on, it says, For there are many rebellious people, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting the whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. We are seeing this more and more today. People teaching stuff to gain, personal gain, personal desire. They aren't walking in the qualifications by which are above. And so they live by their own means, by what they want. Teaching stuff because they want more people in their church. Teaching stuff because they want to be loved and liked by people. Teaching stuff because they don't want people to not like them. They aren't teaching it. They're not teaching biblical stuff because they know that person or peoples won't like it. Too bad. Okay, next part is what is, why is it hard to change? Clearly, the main thing I noticed with all that I just talked about is what do you gain from not changing to be more like the qualifications in these scriptures? What do you gain because you don't want to change because you don't want to be an elder or a deacon. That's the goal is not to be an elder and deacon, but we should be striving to be a biblical family. This is for you young men or men right now that are single. You can be older. Does not matter? What do you gain for not trying to follow the qualifications of an overseer? And the big answer that I got is... Because if you change, then you can't be what you want to be. You can't do what you want to do because you know you're not supposed to be doing something. You know you're struggling with something. So if you don't have to be placed in a leadership position, then I just can kind of slide through life 
doing the minimal amount I can do possibly as a man? No, that's not what we're supposed to be striving for. The enemy knows that having a good, strong leader in the family would only make it harder to break the family. I don't know if you've noticed, but when you are not really striving to be godly, you're not really striving to really follow these qualifications, you, you could probably notice that there's probably weaknesses and issues within your family. Because guess what? Even people who are striving to be like that, they have weaknesses and they struggle in different areas and there's weaknesses in their family. The only difference is you're not striving as hard or not really trying to follow these qualifications. Because if you could just do the minimum amount, then you know, hey, I'm a good enough man or I'm, I'm good enough to do what I'm doing. Especially being gentle, especially showing a little emotion to your kids or a little love to your daughter, but giving her a hug and saying how much you love her. There, there, there's so much that I, I've seen throughout the years that it makes me concerned about what we've been teaching men. Because I know the reason why it's so much, because I struggle with a lot of different areas and aspects of my life towards my wife, towards other people that I have to constantly be aware of. I have to constantly remind myself to do better. So if the enemy can get you to think that you have no reason to change or strive for such qualifications, then you will stay passive about the rest of your responsibilities for your family. We have a tendency when we slack off and trying to be godly men like we're supposed to be. And, and these qualifications are a great, great set of qualifications to really seek for yourself. You know, take this paste it on your door so every day when you're leaving you remind yourself what stuff to work on because i also know that the one of the other parts an important part about this being willing to change the word that people don't like to hear is humility comes into mind first peter 5 6 through 11 it says therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. We use that all the time, but you also got to remember all of us, the reason why we have a hard time changing is because we're not willing to give up all the hurts and pains and abuse and issues that we've had in the past to God. Verse eight, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him in your faith. And we go to verse 10. It says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Understand, by doing what you're supposed to be doing, God will, you, you will, we will always have trials and tribulations and struggles that we will have to go through. It's not like if you do this, it doesn't mean nothing's going to happen. Things will happen, but you'll be living in a strong way because I've heard people say, well, it seems like as soon as I start doing what I'm supposed to do, things get hard. Well, yeah, duh, because beforehand, when you weren't doing anything, it, it may have felt like nothing was happening to you, but that's because why would anybody waste their time trying to break someone who's already broken? Think about that. If it seems like it was easier before, it's because you weren't necessarily doing what you're supposed to be doing. And as soon as you start doing what you're supposed to be doing, Suddenly it's like, man, things don't work out. You know, suddenly now I have my problems with my kids. I'm like, well, there's, there could be that maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And that's why there's consequences of that. But I will be honest with you. A lot of times, as soon as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, a lot of times enemy wants to break you fast and they can get you before you're like, you know what? God's got this. I'm good. I'll keep going you will find it very hard or very easy to want to quit. But then sometimes when things are getting really hard and it seems like it's really hard to get to be where you're supposed to be doing, it can also be because you made a bad choice. But most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it's because the enemy is going to do everything possible to break you. 
to make you quit, to make you walk away, to make you think, man, loving God and really trying to chase after this is not really worth it, is it? Because look, now I'm sick. Now I'm having issues. The house is having problems. And money is low. I, I, my, the car broke down. Like all this stuff will happen. Like I just, I shared with you all the stuff that's happened even just in the past year, a struggle. But then God always shows himself through it. He always kind of points out, I got you. I think that's the things that we don't focus on that we need to remember to focus on. Last section. Once we're willing to change, we are to put on several things to be upright leaders. This goes to Colossians 3, verse 12. So that those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing one another, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you must do also. In addition, all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. <clears throat> Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts. Be thankful that the word of God, Christ, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Guys, it will get hard, and it will, get, it will feel like you, nothing is working out, but the thing is, when you're doing what God has asked of you, God will show you that he is definitely involved in you making the, this decision to do what you're supposed to be doing. Because ultimately, there will be times where you will see all these aspects that we're supposed to put on, Passion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience will be very evident. And you'll see it from other people towards you. You will see open doors open, and you're going to be like, wow. But the key thing is, even through all those hardships, thank him for them. Because a lot of times, those hardships is what helps mold us to be better men of God. What helps us to be godly men of God. It helps us stay upright because we honor him. We are willing to seek out the qualifications that we're supposed to have. We'll see godliness start coming out of us. We'll start changing. We'll start feeling a joy and peace when things do get rough, even though it is rough, but we'll have a joy and peace because he still proves himself even in the little things. It all comes down to the key thing. Are you willing to obey God? Or do you strive for yourself for what you want because it feels good and it's easier this way? King Saul chose three times to disobey in just one moment because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. He saw good food and money that could come from the cattle if they didn't kill it all. He saw a king, if I saved him, it's like having an ally, a connection to the area that we could use and extort. And then him doing the sacrifice to try to show that, hey, I'm king. I'm the leader. Look at me. How many times in our lives have we done that? Where instead of obeying God... We saw how we can use things for what we wanted and do it the way we wanted to do. And it was not the right thing to do. We disobeyed because it seemed like it'd be easier this way. <clears throat> how many times did we say, hey, you know what? No, this is just too hard, too much. I can't do this. I'll just slide right through. It really comes down to that thinking. The choice that we make, we could be how we've always been. We could sit back and let other people lead, and God will do that. Remember, he replaced David. I mean, he replaced Saul with David. He's done it before. 
He's done it before even in our time frame. People not willing to follow the truth, eventually truth comes out and they fall apart. Hillsong. Very good example. All these other leaders that we've seen in the past five years that the truth came out about stuff they were doing in the background. You see, God's God's dealing with the with the battles and the wars. All we have to do is do what we're supposed to be doing, obey, be obedient, and follow. Do what we're supposed to do as men. Lead our families. Prepare ourselves to lead our families. <clears throat> this is why I'm telling all those guys that are single, train yourself to be ready to train your family, to lead your family, to lead what you're supposed to. And while you're waiting for Mrs. Wright to come into your life, serve in your church. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Because Paul even says, when you're not married, you have time to serve God more. So do it. Don't waste the time. And if you're waiting, be patient. Because I tell you, I've been waiting a long time. And it's hard waiting. And that's why, you know, I'm struggling with my frustrations. Because I'm still waiting. And I don't know if the enemy is just not, like, trying to cause issues by not helping us find, you know, trying to block us from finding the house we need. Or what? I don't know. But I'm trying very hard to trust God that things will just come together and we'll see it and we'll know. And it's his timing. Not, it's not always about our timing, but his timing. So I ask that you take this time, guys. Make this important thought and process and change to strive for these qualifications that are found in Titus 1. Why not? You may never be an elder, you may never be a deacon, but guess what? You will see a change in your family. You'll see a change in you. Because you're willing to chase after qualifications that we should be doing as a Christian, period. But as men, we should be leading that charge. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this time. I ask that you change men's hearts today. I ask that you <clears throat> impact um that you would just help them to walk the walk, to obey you, to follow you, to trust you, to do what they're supposed to be doing as men and not be fearful. Be willing, be willing hearts to change and just see how you can move in their families. I'm praying in Jesus name. Amen. You guys be blessed and I'll see you next time.